The first, <coughs> excuse me, the first reading is taken uh, according to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six, which can be found on page nine hundred and seventy-one in the New Testament. I'm beginning at verse twenty-five. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Next reading is Philippians chapter four, 3, beginning at verse 17, which can be found on 118, the New Testament portion. Join together in following my examples, brother and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keeping your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the Christ of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power of that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies to that that will be like his glorious body. Chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in his way, dear friends. I plead with Rhodia and I plead with Senki 
be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, as I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the case of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose name are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Right, I'm going to start with a question for you. It's very, should be a very easy question. Who are you? I've only been here 14 years, I think, so <laughs> I'm not quite sure yet. But who are you? You've got about a minute to just talk to the person next to you and, and, and tell them who you are and what, what are the key aspects of, of your identity. Okay, um, what did you say? <laughs> what, what kinds of things did you say? Anyone? A vicar. A vicar? Very good, well done. <laughs> Husband. Husband, okay, good. Anything else? Wife, mother, grandmother, and great grandmother, well done. <laughs> Okay. Someone who's loved by God. That's a very good answer. <laughs> okay. So we define ourselves in lots of different ways, don't we? We've got we use nouns and adjectives and verbs. We say what we do, um, who who we are in relation to other people, um, who we are in relation to God as well. Sometimes we might say what we're like um, and where we live. And we're going to be thinking a bit today about what. Paul says about who we are in this letter to the Philippians and what that means for us. So let's start by reminding ourselves of who Paul was writing to. So Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia, now in Greece, um, and it was established actually decades previously by Roman soldiers. So Paul was talking largely to Roman citizens, people who were probably second or maybe even third generation colonists who were born in Philippi a long way from Rome but living under Roman law and recreating Roman customs and culture as we do when we're abroad. Um, I lived in Ghana in West Africa for a while and, and when I was there I spread Marmite on my bread. And, and actually, believe it or not, that's not because I took it out with me. I didn't ever take it out with me. You could buy it in the shops in Ghana, which are, you don't often see in countries other than England. And it's, it's a hangover from colonial times. The, the, um, you know, the, the, the British 
went out and they took their Marmite out with them. And you can still buy it in the, in the shops. I don't know if they just got stocks they're trying to get rid of or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, back in Philippi. Um, Roman citizenship here was, was clearly very important. And, and Paul draws on this when he's in Philippi, so rather than when he's writing to them. When he's, he's in Philippi, we can read in, in Acts chapter 16 that he and Silas were imprisoned um, when they visited Philippi. They were imprisoned for, allegedly, as Jews, causing chaos by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. And a mob took them to the magistrates, who had them stripped and flogged and jailed. And when they were eventually released, um, after the small matter of a miraculous earthquake that we're not going to go into now, um, they were told to just to leave. And Paul protests. He says, hold on, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. And the magistrates, when they heard this, were, were alarmed. Um, and they came to appease them and, and escorted them from the prison. And actually, just on a side note, it's interesting that Paul doesn't use his citizenship to get out of trouble when he's about to be beaten and thrown into jail. It's only afterwards. And I, I don't know why that is. You know, maybe he didn't get a chance, or maybe he knew you know, at each moment what would bring more glory to God. We don't know. But why were the magistrates alarmed when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens? because citizens had certain rights, including the right to defend oneself in a proper court, the right to appeal decisions of magistrates, and the right not to be whipped, all of which had been violated. So the Philippian magistrates could get into severe trouble with the authorities in Rome for mistreating Roman citizens. Roman citizenship then was not about living in Rome. It wasn't even about one day aspiring to travel to Rome, but it was about creating a little bit of Rome in the far-flung places where the citizens found themselves, customs and practices unlawful for Romans to, um, to adopt. That was what, what they were angry with Paul and Silas for. It was also about security in the rights and protection afforded by the Roman emperor. So, as Paul writes to the Philippian church for a different prison cell this time, he talks about citizenship and he reminds them of who they are. If the Philippians, at least most of them, were citizens of Rome, they were also and primarily citizens of heaven. If their Roman citizenship meant recreating a part of Rome in Macedonia, then their heavenly citizenship meant recreating a part of heaven in Philippi. If their Roman citizenship meant they could look to Caesar to save them, their heavenly citizenship meant they could look to Jesus. And if that's what it meant for the Philippians, then that's what it means for us as well. So who are we? We're citizens of heaven. Always remember who you are. Why is it important to remember? I mean, did I have to remember that I was British in order to eat Marmite? No, but that came from years of Marmite eating. And also, apparently, because mosquitoes don't like it, the vitamin B6 in Marmite um, repels mosquitoes, apparently. Just a tip there. 
Um, but anyway, I've, I've eaten Marmite all my life, and I know I like it, and I instinctively buy it. And um, actually, in some ways, that's true for my Christian identity as well. I was brought up in a Christian home. I instinctively pray. I don't really have to think about coming to church. Um, but I've also received and absorbed contradictory messages throughout my life. Messages that tell me I'm not as good as other people. Messages that make me afraid. And, and messages that, that make me ashamed. Habits that mean I don't live every day fully for Christ. That keep my mind on earthly things, like the people that Paul talks of in verse 19, who put bodily appetites first and who celebrate the parts of their lives that Jesus died to remove. And this is why we need to remember who we are, because it's awareness of our identity that changes us. So a child who I caught up for moaning once said to me, but I'm a moaner. And she'd been told it, and she believed it, and she became it. She acted it out. And then another child lying on the floor having a tantrum after losing at table tennis, he was, he was crying, but I can't, I can't help it. I'm a bad loser. And he'd been told that. <laughs> yeah. But then we have a friend of mine who isn't a child anymore and is now an extremely successful consultant in his area. But he was born into a less well-off background and he hovered on the edges of, of getting into trouble when he was a teenager. And I asked him once how he came through so well. And he told me that his mum used to say to him when he was hanging out with his mates who were getting into trouble, that is not who you are. You might hang out with them, you might even do silly things, but that is not who you are. And he remembered that. And he did hang out with them, and he did do some silly things, but he always knew that it wasn't him. You know, that there was something else. He had a different identity. And those messages that we receive as children, and the messages that we receive as adults as well, are really, really crucial, because we believe them. We hear them, and we believe them, and we do become them. So remember who you are. If you've received God's forgiveness through Jesus, you're a redeemed child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. Kenny Borthwick reminded some of us last week at New Wine, you're not a sinner, you're a person who sometimes sins. And you have a choice about how you live. And those are the messages we need to internalize. But remembering who you are isn't always an easy thing, not just because some of us haven't got brilliant memories, but sometimes it's much easier to forget and to allow ourselves to be shaped by the world instead of by heaven. And hard times do come. Paul isn't saying that we're in heaven, but that we're citizens of heaven in a broken world. They weren't in Rome, they were citizens of Rome. And citizenship doesn't protect us from all the bad things that go along with that brokenness. So, despite the Marmite, the West African mosquitoes, they didn't kind of zoom up to me and then put the brakes on and say, oh, no, 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 she's a British citizen, we're not going to give her malaria. Sadly, sadly they didn't. But the Bible is full of people who remembered who they were, even when they were far away, when they were in a minority, or when things were against them. So think of Daniel in exile, who continued practicing his faith, even when he knew that the consequences of, of that were being, he was going to be thrown to the lions. Or think of Esther. She was the queen of Persia and Media, an enormous empire, and she risked her life to save her own Jewish nation from genocide. 
She had to be reminded of who she was. She didn't do it straight away. Or think of David, the king, who cried out to God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And think of the prophets speaking truth into hostility. Life can be hard, and we're not perfect either. And identity is complex. Yes, I'm a child of God. But all those negative messages, all the experiences that I've ever had, those too are part of my identity. In the last two verses of chapter 3, Paul talks about the transforming power of Jesus. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I loved the version that Brian read out from the, the message. Does it make us beautiful and... Oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> you can look at it later. <laughs> um, but he talks about the powerful skill of Jesus making us beautiful and whole, I think it was. Yeah. Um, but it's a process. It, you know, it's a process. Jesus is transforming us and will transform us. We're not, we're not quite there yet. And sometimes it's not even clear which elements of our identity are God-given and which are to be transformed. So for a long time, I thought I was lacking something because I wasn't the life and soul of parties. And I, and I thought you know, there was something wrong with me and I wasn't as good as other people. And then I realized, actually, God created me as an introvert and, and gave me all the gifts of reflection and quietness and other things that that brings but I can't use the excuse, God made me like that, for every part of me that actually might need to change. Paul is talking about corporate as well as individual identity. So in verse 17 he says, join with others in following my example. And I guess it's probably quite difficult to be a colony of heaven by yourself. And what does a colony of heaven on earth look like? I think Simon thinks it looks like some Swithins. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> and I think maybe, probably sometimes it does. Sometimes people come in and say, oh, you know, I feel something different. I feel welcome. I feel warmth here. Probably sometimes it doesn't as well. Paul, in talking about what it looks like, he encourages the Philippians to follow his own example and that of others who live according to the pattern we gave you. And his letter here focuses on relationships. So we hear him in the first verses of chapter 4 pleading with two members of the church to get on with each other. Um, and the picture he paints for the Philippian church to aspire to in chapters 2 and 3 is one of a community, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Um, and then putting others first with Christ-like humility. No complaining, no arguing and actively striving, as we heard from Matt last week, not using the robotic vacuum cleaner, if you were here. If you weren't here, then ask Matt about that. <laughs> um, but striving to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. He says we should be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Is that who we are? Is it what we look like? And what does that actually mean for us? 
As well as living in Ghana, I also spent a year previously in Togo, which is also in West Africa. And I was there among a people group called the, the Ife people. And it was a relatively young church, so just really the last previous 20 years or so. I mean, the Christians there, they were facing this question, um, how to be Christian in a, in a wider community in a very explicit way. They were trying to work out how to relate to their wider ethnic and, and national culture. And different churches approached it in, in very different ways. So the Catholic Church tended not to mind if people continued with their previous religious practices as well as being baptized in, as, as Christians because they saw it as an ongoing gradual transformation rather than an immediate change. The Pentecostal churches, some of them, um, often demanded a complete break with all indigenous cultural practices, so including the use of local music um, and local dress and, and sometimes language. And then other churches are trying to negotiate between the, the two, really. So they're coming up against questions that aren't that dissimilar um, to those faced by the early church in the New Testament. For example, should you attend traditional celebrations and eat food that may have been prayed over in a non-Christian way? Should you use in church the same kinds of music that are associated with traditional religious rituals? Those kinds of things. Um, and I guess perhaps some of those questions aren't so different from some of the things that, that we face as well. So what do we do about uh, Halloween parties? Um, what, do, what do we do about alcohol? How, how, do we, how do we relate to those kinds of, of issues? And then what about other aspects of our culture? What is the culture of heaven that we're seek, seeking to recreate here? And how does it conflict with our local culture in Bath? What about materialism, consumerism, fear and pride, uh, self-image, individualism? Where do we as residents of earth and as citizens of heaven find our security? I think that's a big one for us. And then how do we relate to each other? How do people see us? Are we different and distinct? And for what reasons? So is the church seen as pure and blameless, shining like stars? Or is it seen as hypocritical and judgmental and perverse? Shane Claiborne and Chris Hall state that in the book, we are to remind the world of Jesus. The criterion for whether something is a manifestation of the kingdom of God is the person of Jesus. Does it look like him? And if you want to be really challenged about living as a Christian in, in modern Western society, read their book, Jesus for President. It asks what the modern day empire looks like. So in their case, they're talking about American society, an American state, and then how we can live radically as Christians within it, given that our primary allegiance is to Christ rather than to our nation. So who are we? We're citizens of heaven here on earth. If you don't think that your citizenship is in heaven, if you don't think that what I've been saying relates to you, or if it hasn't made any sense to you at all, then do come and talk to one of us about it. But if you do identify with this, heavenly citizenship, it brings with it first an encouragement. So when you're struggling, when you feel inadequate, remember who you are. You're a citizen of heaven. 
You have a savior who is in the process of transforming you into something beautiful and glorious. It also brings a challenge, both for the church, to remember that we are a colony of heaven, and we need to act like that. And for each of us. So when life is too hard, or perhaps, perhaps even more so, when life is too easy, and when we find ourselves just kind of blending in, we need to remember who we are. We're citizens of heaven. And perhaps sometimes we need to switch our earthly perspectives towards more heavenly ones. Amen.